You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Funny dream? No, it's real. A cyber espionage crew operating against Southeast Asian governments. President Trump fires CISA Director Krebs. Twitter and Facebook CEOs testify before the Senate as legislators consider Section 230. The extradition hearing for Huawei's CFO continues in Vancouver. Joe Kerrigan looks at fleeceware on the Google Play Store. Rick Howard speaks with Tenable's Steve Vince on Zero Trust. And the most common passwords in 2020 are now out, and password only comes in at number four. Just wait till you hear number one. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, November 18th, 2020. Bitdefender researchers described the activities of a hitherto little-remarked Chinese cyber espionage group. It's called Funny Dream, after one of the tool sets it uses. Most of the group's infrastructure is located in Hong Kong, but with one additional server each in Vietnam, China proper, and the Republic of Korea. Bitdefender is cautious about attribution, not going much farther than Chinese or Chinese-speaking, and is also reticent about the targets, which it characterizes as potential government sector victims in Southeast Asia. This isn't the first time Funny Dream has come to researchers' attention. ZDNet points out that a Kaspersky report this past spring found Funny Dream activity mostly directed against Vietnam, with additional targets in Malaysia, Taiwan, and the Philippines. As an aside on nomenclature, may we say we miss the pandas? Are we out of adjectives for pandas? They couldn't have called this one, say, Nextdoor Panda or Karen Panda or Takeout Panda. I love pandas. Last night, President Trump fired Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Director Christopher Krebs. In the two-tweet thread he used to announce the dismissal, President Trump called Director Krebs' assurance that the recent U.S. elections were secure highly inaccurate and gave that assessment as his grounds for the firing. The move had been expected for several days, with speculation that Director Krebs was in White House hot water, having circulated since the middle of last week at least. 
At issue, apparently, were repeated assurances by the CISA director that there was no evidence of any systematic large-scale hacking of voting systems. Krebs's work at CISA had received good bipartisan international and industry reviews. He was generally well-regarded in the cybersecurity sector. The Wall Street Journal and SC Media are among the publications that summarize reactions to his dismissal. We've seen few comments that approve of the firing. Most of those in and around the cybersecurity sector think he'd been doing a good, focused, and nonpartisan job throughout his tenure. It's worth noting that Krebs had long publicly explained before and during Election Day that unofficial results reported by the media were just that, unofficial. He had also publicly insisted, right up to the 11th hour, that the election wasn't going to be over until any necessary recounts had been conducted and all the votes certified. Everyone should expect, he said, that process to take weeks. These have been at least as clearly the themes of his public statements as have his reassurances about security. In fairness, this seems hardly the sort of thing a shill for hostile partisans would be likely to emphasize. May all honest counting and recounting continue. Matthew Travis, who had been deputy director, is also reported to have resigned. CISA hasn't updated its leadership page yet, but it would appear that the agency will be run on acting basis by its executive director, Brandon Wales. Good luck, Mr. Krebs. Many will miss the quiet voice and the loud socks. Twitter's CEO Dorsey and Facebook's CEO Zuckerberg described their platform's approach to election season disinformation before a Senate panel yesterday. The Wall Street Journal says both gave their companies good marks, but they signaled their openness to further regulation. The hearings are considering the future of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, a law which many legislators of both parties believe the Internet in general and social media platforms in particular have outgrown. Section 230 presently gives social media the protections of both publishers and public squares, exemption of liability for what's said on them combined with the ability to moderate the content they permit. Those sets of protections have long been in tension. They may be reaching the point of contradiction. Both Mr. Dorsey and Mr. Zuckerberg testified remotely. Their video appearances show one leveling effect of technology— Even captains of industry look as bad as the rest of us do when we're on Zoom. The Vancouver extradition hearings for Huawei CFO Meng Wangzhou continue. Reuters reports that a Canada Border Services Agency official testified that he was not pressured into improper actions by the U.S. FBI. Ms. Meng's counsel had maintained that the Bureau strong-armed the CBSA into violating Canadian legal norms. And finally, you'd think people would have moved towards stronger passwords after all the nudging in that direction from, well, just about everywhere. Not necessarily. Here are the top 10 passwords of the year 2020 as reported by NordPass. Let's go a little old school with this. Counting backwards from 10, we have number 10, Senha, which is Portuguese for password. Thanks, Brazil. Number 9, 123456789. 10 digits, but all digits, and counting numbers to boot. Number 8, 12345. Only half as good as number 9. Number 7, 123123. Number 6, 111111. 
We have nothing to add to those two. Number five, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Number four, password. You saw that one coming, right? Number three, picture one. Number two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And coming in at number one, up one place from last year, is the ever popular one, two, three, four, four, five, six. Now used by 2,543,285 users. That NordPass could find, that is. You know who you are. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The CyberWire's Chief Analyst and Chief Security Officer Rick Howard recently checked in with Tenable's Chief Financial Officer Steve Vince for his insights on zero trust. Here's their conversation. We are joined by Steve Vince. He's the Chief Financial Officer for Tenable. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me. You wrote an essay in CFO Australia last month about uh, how the CISOs are becoming more important to people like you at the senior executive staff. Why don't you give us a rundown on what that essay said? Sure. We talked a lot about the maturation of the role of the chief security officer, the chief information security officer, and how uh, the security team uh, needs to evolve their strategy and become better partners with the C-suite. In turn, uh, I believe the C-suite needs to also evolve and recognize the value and the contributions of the chief security officer as an important executive on the team. And I believe there's a disconnect in how businesses understand and manage security risk. 
Well, I totally agree. And I, and I've been part of that problem myself in my former CSO roles, right? That my peers and I have always had trouble conveying, uh, cyber or transforming cyber risk into business risk. We, we just didn't have the language to do it. And I was wondering if the CFOs of the world could help us figure that out. In terms of business leaders, you know, what I can tell you is business leaders want a clear picture of their organization's cybersecurity posture, but their security counterparts struggle to provide one. And so when we look at security, I think the problem today is that there's no common language. When you pose that question, how secure are we? You don't get typically get an answer uh, that's based on the maturity framework of an organization and a couple of key metrics. And there's not a clear articulation of that. And, well, I, I would and, and, I would pose to you that that's the wrong question, all right, or at least a hard question to answer. Uh, I, I would rephrase it, and I've been on a you know a glide path to try to get this out there. But the real question that CISO should be answering to people like you, the CFO, is what's the probability that we are going to be materially impacted by a cybersecurity event in say the next three years? I think that's an answerable question. Uh, I don't know. What do you think about that, Rick? I I, I agree with where you're coming from because you cannot, I'm not proposing that you you can eliminate security risk. And by the way, I'm the CFO. I'll stay in the shallow end, shallow end of the pool when it comes <laughs> to technical matters on security. Uh, but, but, I, I, but I do think uh, that I understand you know, business risk. And you, you can't, the only thing you can do, I believe, is do a series of things that reduces risk to a relatively acceptable level. I don't think there's a, a clear articulation. I think we're becoming better as an organization. I think boards are becoming better, but I think there's 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 a long ways to go in that regard. All good stuff, Steve. Uh, thanks for joining us on this interview with the CyberWire and uh, hope to come back with us and love to talk to you again about the progress you're making there. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for having me. That's our own Rick Howard speaking with Tenable's Steve Vince. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute, also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, great to have you back. Hi, Dave. Uh, interesting article caught my eye. This is from the folks over at ThreatPost. This one's written by Tara Seals. And it's titled, Minecraft Apps on Google Play, Fleece Players Out of Big Money. What's going on here, Joe? Uh, what's going on here, Dave, is someone has realized that it's perfectly legitimate within the ecosystem of these app stores to have a very high cost 
for uh, a subscription, like a to an app, and that's what they've done. So they've built these apps. There's like seven of them that they've that they've built, and, and uh, Avast thinks it's all the same developer who's done this. Mm. Mm-hmm. And these are apps like mods and maps for Minecraft PE, uh, skins for Roblox, live wallpapers HD and 3D backgrounds, uh, these kind of apps. And what happens is when you install this, you get a free three-day trial period. And after that, the app starts charging you $29.99 a week for the app. <laughs> okay. Right. All righty. So what's interesting is that it's, in order to see this in the Google Play Store, when you look at the app, you know, you, first you have to search the app and you find the app, and then you have to click on a little arrow to on the right-hand side to read the entire description. And all the way down at the bottom of that description, it talks about the terms and conditions that we're going to bill you 30 bucks a week for the trial after the trial period. Uh, hmm. that, that's anywhere from 120 to 150 bucks a month. That's a lot of money. Uh, yes. The article points out, rightly so, that one of the biggest issues here is that this is something that children will install because Minecraft is very popular with a very wide age group of people. Uh, right. I have a copy of it. I play it. I don't play it on my phone, uh, but I do play it uh, sometimes. On, I haven't played it lately, but I, I have played it on my PC for a long time. And it's yeah. a fun game. It's also a game that's perfectly fine for children to play, right? Sure. And yeah. Yeah. they're the ones that are not going to read the terms and conditions or understand what they're, what they're applying to or what they're agreeing to. And they're just going to click the yes button because, you know, they're... <laughs> If they're young and then their parents are going to see these charges coming through on their credit card from Google play. And they're going to be like, what is this? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. Uh, of course you can re- request a refund from this, but you know, I, I don't know how you stop this aside from Google saying, okay, this is fleeceware because I can imagine a situation. And we were talking about this before we started recording. A good example of this is Adobe. Adobe charges $70 a month for a business to have a license to all their, uh, all their products. Right. Right. So, you know, yes, it's expensive for what it is, but there are legitimate business cases where you can have an app that's in high demand by a specific group of people that that provides a real benefit, but is not cheap. Right. Right. And and that's a good business model. But in this case, they're calling it fleeceware because it doesn't match the rest of the market. Right. Mm -hmm. In Mm -hmm. in order to buy Minecraft PE, that is a one time seven dollar purchase from Mojang, which is now owned by Microsoft. Right. Uh, but in order to in order to have a uh, an app that augments or allegedly augments the uh, the other game, it's thirty dollars a month or a week rather thirty dollars a week. That's that's not right. That's yeah. that's not what this business model is meant to. Uh, that is certainly outside of the spirit of what Google Play and even the Apple Store. And the article talk, talks about the Apple Store having similar issues. Yeah. Um, Google has, as of this recording, not removed these. Uh, apps from the store. They're still available. I just found one uh, and did the search on it. That's how I know that you have to hit, hit that little arrow to read the entire description. Yeah. It strikes me that there's a couple ways that these uh, these scammers come at this. You know, they're the ones who, um, they all start out with something that's free. So for X number of days, you get this thing for free. Right. Um, and it seems like um, a lot of times they'll come after you or they'll they'll lure you in with something where 
it's it's an app of limited utility, but when you need it, you need it. You know, something like a QR code reader or right. you know, yeah, something another... like that. Uh, yeah, something it doesn't do a whole lot, but the thing it does is useful and you need it now. And you so you're probably not being, you're not shopping around all that much and you see free QR code reader and you say, aha, that's for me. And you download it. And um, But then afterwards, it, it strikes me that there's a couple ways that they come at this. They either... Try to hit you with something big, like in this case, 30 bucks a week. Right. And hope that it's just too much of a pain to try to claw back, you know, the $30, the $60, or however much they get. And they, so they just take that money and run. Right. The other way they come at it is they charge you something like a dollar a week. And they hope to fly under the radar for as long as possible. It's more of a, a numbers game, right? Yes, yes. That's the way I'd do it. I'd, I'd try it with, <laughs> with the low, low amount if I was doing this. I'm not doing this. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So I guess the take home here is what? If you've got kids, uh, take a look at, make sure that, uh, well, I guess, first of all, tell them, don't, right. uh, don't just install yeah. anything on, on, right. Make sure they right. understand what's going on. Educate them. Uh, if you and have, when that kids doesn't that, work, yeah, when that doesn't work, if you have kids that don't listen to you, who, right, who, right. who has kids that listen to everything they say? I'd like to right. meet that parent. Yeah, um, yeah. you can create a user account on the, on the, uh, device for the kid that, that, prevents them from installing apps. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, keep an eye on that, uh, that credit card that, you know, <laughs> right. make and, sure. And generally, that, uh, actually, generally speaking on the phone, that's not really something you can do. If, if a kid says, can I play with your phone? And they start installing these apps, they're going to be doing it as you, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, then you're going to have to keep an eye on the credit card. You can request refunds and you can say, you know, my kid installed this and, and it, it wasn't meant. And that's actually in the Google refund policy that, you know, if a family member installs something, let us know and yeah. we'll refund your money. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Security is a competitive advantage. Right, right exactly. <laughs> All right, well, uh, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Something special's in the air. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. 
Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 